All right. Children, you are dismissed. And uh, if you would turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we'll be taking our text. The message titled this morning is Serving Christ in a Culture of Change. Serving Christ in a Culture of Change. And again, our text is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 17 through 40. A lot to cover there, but uh, don't be afraid. That may scare some of you away when you see how many verses are there, but I promise you that I will get through all of those in an allotted time. But let's pray this morning um, again. Uh, we want to um, invoke God's blessing, His ability for us to understand the Scriptures this morning, and for our hearts to be ready for that. So let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and again, Lord, what the a privilege it is to be able to call you Father, and, and how often we take that for granted. God, we pray this morning that you would forgive us of our uh, many sins, Lord, that you remind us, Lord, even as we're in your presence of what a gracious God you are, that we are able to come before you right now. God, we would pray this morning that uh, you, by your Spirit, would take your word, that you would illuminate that in our hearts that you would make clear the message that you want uh, this morning for each of us. Help me, Lord, as your messenger to say the things that you once said to your people and that uh, there would be an understanding of those things. And God, we humble ourselves before you right now, recognizing that you are the Almighty and that we are the creation. And we thank you again in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and good, kind Master. And the church said, Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 40. Again, it's where we'll take our uh, scripture from this morning. But as we kind of look at this, we're kind of turning our attention back to Paul's letter to the church of Corinth. Uh, after a, you know, a series of, of time over Easter, uh, a lot of the message, thank you, that, that's a, that kind of sounded kind of crazy back there. All right, so... It, kind of turning back to this, this letter uh, to the Corinthians. Remember that this letter was written as a letter of instruction and also a letter of correction to the church of Corinth. But in particular today, what we want to deal with was some questions that the Corinthians had uh, for Paul. And that's what chapter 7 deals with. Uh, he deals with uh, uh, the issues that were going on in their culture and you remember in chapter 7, a lot of the questions they had were centered around marriage and celibacy and uh, the position that they had in the culture that they were in. And kind of as a way of, of a reminder for those things, you will remember that he talked about, as, as, fact, as a matter of fact, it's kind of essential that we must understand that there are three groups of people in particular that he was talking to in chapter 7 uh, of 1 Corinthians. Uh, so the first thing there is this. He was speaking to widows. And I, I just kind of want to go through and, and kind of tell you a little bit so you kind of refresh your memories because, again, we were five weeks, I think, on the resurrection and the glory of that and the promises that we have in the resurrection. But he spoke to the widows, and you remember the widows would also encompass widowers, those who had lost their spouse to death. And, and so it is essential to understand he's speaking to that group of people and then he also speaks to those who are called the unmarried. And the unmarried were those who had, uh, were divorced. 
uh, those who had been married but had divorced their spouse, which was a, uh, a very common thing in that culture. As a matter of fact, that uh, it was so common uh, that, you know, multiple times people had divorced and remarried, sometimes not of their own choosing because you understand, too, that there was a slave culture that was there, and so a wife or a husband could be sold into slavery, and they would lose that spouse, and then they would remarry somebody else. So he spoke to that group of people. And then there was another group that were called virgins. And the virgins was that group of people who had never married. It, it just implies what it says. They had never been involved in sexual relationships, in a marital relationship. So he needs to address those people as well. And this morning we will deal with them uh, quite extensively in, in our uh, text. But he also deals this morning with fathers and with daughters. And, and at the same time we could say that would also apply to sons and that Paul is giving advice. But again, important that we understand widows, the unmarried, the virgins, fathers. He also addresses another group of people this morning, slaves. He's, these are, again, questions that we found that uh, he says, you know, as a matter of fact, if we look at verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. So he was answering the questions that the Corinthians had for them. You will remember from our last uh, series that we were doing on this, or when we left this message, uh, that there were those who were teaching that to really be holy, you needed to be celibate. In other words, you need to abstain from all sexual relationships. Well, there were those who were married who were saying, hey, do we need to do that? Do we need to get divorced in order that we can do that? What do we need to do, Paul? And he addressed all of those issues, and we'll cover some of those as we go along this morning. But as a whole, this morning, this is what we want to look at. We want to look at two major points, and, and both of them have an underlying theme of service. All right? Think about that. I want that to be in the back of your mind this morning. The underlying theme of the message this morning is serving Christ. As a matter of fact, the title, Serving Christ in a Culture of Change. And so this serving is this. Paul addresses serving Christ in their current calling, and he addressed serving Christ with a singular focus. Serving Christ in the current calling that they were in, where they were at at that moment, and serving Christ with a singular focus. And so we'll take the first one there, and if we look at chapter se or verse, uh, verses 17 through 24 of chapter 7, and let me just read those, and then we'll kind of go back and unpack a few things out of there. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all the churches. Is any man called circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any man in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price, but you are not the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. So the first thing that we see here is serving Christ in their current calling. 
And the key to this point is found in verse 17. Paul is making clear that God calls us to walk in the place that he has put us. You grab that? Now everybody, just real quick, I don't want you, we're not going to go crazy here with the raising of our hands, and, but just raise your hands up to make sure that everybody is alive. All right, because it has a feeling this morning in here that, that we are preaching amongst the dead. So when we look at this, he further states that this is to be true in all the churches. This was a principle that he says that is not only true for the church at Corinth, but for all the churches. He says, this is what I teach in all the churches. Now, why is that important for us? If we're a Bible student, we need to understand this. If you're going to be true to understanding what the Bible says, you must always understand who it is written to, when it was written to them, and what are the circumstances. Because if we're not careful, we can start taking things out of context and trying to make them apply for us today. And that's not the case. Now, there may be some principles that will apply there that we will see this morning. As a matter of fact, I was telling Riley, this was, a, for me, a very difficult passage uh, to uh, study and then to kind of bridge from where they were at in that day to the place that we are at today. Uh, however, I believe that we will be uh, bringing some things out that will help all of us. But to understand that he says, serve where you are at, where God called you. And under that, we can say that there was a culture and a cultural identity that they were trying to get their heads wrapped around. It says that there are those who are circumcised, those who were uncircumcised, there were slaves and there were free. There was Jew and there was Gentile. And they were all trying to say, what do we need to do serving Christ with this background? As a matter of fact, and we don't need to go into the dynamics of circumcision or uncircumcision, but there were those who said, do we need to become circumcised in order to really serve Christ? And then there were others who saying, do we need to uh, reverse that circumcision, which there was an operation that actually did that. And you had to understand the culture. There was a lot of uh, the games where uh, guys were not wearing Speedos back in that day. They were just wearing nothing when they were out there doing the, the, the Olympic Games. So all of this was playing in their minds and saying, what do we do? Do I need to get circumcised? Do I need to be uncircumcised? You see, they were trying to look at the culture and let the culture identify who they were in Christ rather than identifying in Christ in the middle of the culture that they were in. Did you grab that? You see, I think we still have that problem today. That there is an issue of us trying to fit into the culture rather than Christ being seen in the culture that we're in. And that was the issue that they were having. They were more concerned with the outward appearance of what was going on in their life rather than what they were concerned about with the inward workings that were going on inside of their hearts. And Paul says, listen, circumcision or uncircumcision really doesn't matter. It has no place in the role of liberty in Christ. So there was a slave and the servant issue there. And I love what Paul says. He says, listen, if you're a slave, you just need to know that you're set free in Christ. And if you're free, you need to know that you're a slave to Christ. He says, but that's not your identity either. Here's, here's the perspective that I believe that Paul is just trying to drive back to them. A proper perspective would be this. One of obedience and one of abiding in Christ. 
Can I say this morning that you are able to serve Christ no matter what country you're in, no matter what economy you're in, no matter what political affiliation is in charge of the country at that moment. You see, that's what Christ, that's what Paul is trying to get across. It's not an issue of what's going on on the outside, it's an issue of what's going on on the inside. And, and he's, he really wants them to understand this. He says, you can serve Christ in any nation, in any economy, in any, any culture. You need to focus on where God has called you to serve Him and serve Him there. What, is, what does that play out for us? You know, he was telling them, listen, if you're a slave, serve Christ. And he says, if you, can, if you can get free, go for it, because that may enhance your ability to serve Christ more effectively, but serve Christ. And he says, don't worry about the outward circumstance of where you're at, just serve him where you are right now, and serve him until God changes that position for you, and then gladly move to the next position. But serve him where you're at. How does that play out today? Can I say this for the college students that we have here that are today, which are a few, and I pray we have more? Serve Christ in the place you're at. Don't let college determine who you are. You let the light of Christ shine because that is where Christ has called you to serve at this moment. That's it. Work. It's amazing to me that uh, in, in this culture of American church today that we have a group of people who will come and say amen and yet they will never verbally, openly share their faith where they work. You see, Christ says, listen, you are called to serve where you're at. And if you are at work, no matter what your job is, that is where he has called you to serve. We come together for an hour on a Sunday morning. And we come together for an hour on a Wednesday night. That is not a lot of time considering the other hours that we have through the week to serve the living Christ. I think Paul was just trying to get across to them. Do it. High school students, I know that we're, they're not here today, but I would say this, that Christ has called you to serve right where you're at. And you are not to let the culture identify who you are, but you are to identify with Christ in the culture that you're in. And unfortunately, we are letting, listen, we are letting the culture define who we are rather than letting Christ define who we are in the culture that we're in. Recreation. It's amazing to me that we so willingly throw Christ over for our joys and our pleasures. John 15, 5 says this, abide in me, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And whoever abides in me bears much fruit. You see, the key to all of this, really what Paul says there, he says, Verse 19, he says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but note what he says is something, but the keeping of the commandments of God. He said, you see, the outward appearance means absolutely nothing, but what matters is, are you obeying what the word of God says? 
I'm going to tell you what, I think that hits us. I, I think it hits us. You know, one of the things that, that, uh, that I'm kind of noted for is the guy that doesn't wear a tie. But I'm going to tell you what, it doesn't matter whether I wear a tie or whether I was up here in a three-piece suit. It matters not what I'm wearing. It matters what am I doing with the rest of my life in regard to the obedience of the Word of God. And Paul says, stop looking at these outward things and letting culture to define who you are and start obeying the Word of God. I'm going to tell you what, I think the church is in a dangerous place when we can sit and sing I surrender all, and we know in our heart that we've surrendered very little in reality to him for the rest of the week. I will say this, that that's probably taking God's name in vain, because we're saying, oh God, I surrender everything I am, and all that I am, I surrender to you, but as soon as I leave here, I'm going to do what I want to do. Paul is saying to this church, Stop focusing on the outward and start focusing on the inward. Start dealing with the word that is in you. He says, serve Christ where you are at now. And serve him in obedience. And then he talks to the slaves and to the servant and he says, listen, if that's where you're at, abide there. That, that word abide carries several meanings. It, it can mean to endure. It can mean to stay. It can mean to live. It can dwell. But he was telling that group, saying, listen, while you are serving Christ, just stay there, abide there, until God moves you into a different position. Then you're free to move somewhere else. But until then, abide there, stay there, endure where you are at. But the way that you are going to be able to endure, he gets down to saying in verse 24, he says, Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. You see, the problem of dissatisfaction in this world and the life of Christians is simply this. We don't like where we're at. We don't like the situation we have. And the reason that we don't want to stay in the situation that we're in, and I'll just be in all honest this morning, is because more than likely we're not abiding with God. Because our minds are everywhere else. And our heart and our affections are everywhere else. And obedience to the scripture is somewhere way down here. And we're more concerned about our immediate gratification. And Paul's trying to get across to the church as I believe he is today. And he says this is true for all the churches. Abide wherein you're called and obey God where you're at. Serve him there. Isn't that great? It's simple. But I'll tell you, saints, it's, it seems that it's, it's a hard issue. I have to be careful I don't get on my soapbox this morning. I told Riley, I said, I need to be very careful. Because part of me wants to unleash. But I feel that's the flesh this morning. I believe this carries into another area. We talked about, hey, you're a college student, your work, high school, recreation, your job, whatever. Can I say this too? I believe Paul is implying, because he has just discussed it, if you're in a marriage, 
serve God where you're at. Does anybody here have a perfect marriage? Be careful, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Pretty close. I got a great marriage, but I'm going to tell you what, we ain't got a perfect marriage because we still have two sinful people living together. Right? Boy, somebody said, yeah, amen, I agree with that, brother. <laughs> but that's the fact, he says, abide there. That was part of the problem, too. You know, it kind of goes back, and, you know, I'd said before, you know, I know that divorce is always a sensitive subject, but listen, wherever you're at now, abide there. You can't go back and undo anything. So if you're married, determine in your heart, this is where God has called me to serve. Can I get an amen? amen. And rejoice in the grace that is found there. Just abide and serve. Next, Paul speaks to them and he says, not only do I want you to serve where you're adding your current calling, he says, but I want you to serve with a singular focus. And uh, just bear with me as I read through the scriptures with you and then we'll go back and unpack these as well. Rather lengthy, but we'll, uh, uh, we'll get there nonetheless, picking up in verse 25. It says, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man to be so. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, shall such have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they had wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world are not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that, is under, uh, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of uh, the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but that she may be married careth for those things of the world, that how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely. And you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think he behaveth himself uncomely towards his virgin, he shall pass, or if she pass the flower of her age, and need so require, let him do what he will, and he sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth fast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart, that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So then, he that giveth her in marriage, doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage, doeth better. The wife is bound to the law as long as her husband liveth, but her husband be dead. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she abide after my judgment, and I think also I have the Spirit of God. Whew, that's lengthy, huh? I probably didn't get that one up on the screen. Um, now, there are some interpretive challenges here that we must overcome. 
The first thing I want you to see, though, is we are transitioning from what Paul says. He says, in the first few verses that we read, he says, this is something that I teach in all of the churches. And then he makes a transition in verse 25, and he begins to take up the issue of dealing with those who are single and also with parental issues. And then he finally closes out with the issue of uh, those who uh, have the ability to remarry once again. Paul makes that shift discussing the principles that apply only to those churches that are local to this area of Corinth. His purpose was not to set a mandate, but rather he was giving good advice. But I think there are certainly some things that we are able to take out of this. First of all, the present situation. He says in verse 25, he says, Now, concerning the virgins, those who have never been married, I have no... Uh, commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment uh, that one hath obtained mercy uh, to be faithful. That is to say, listen, this is not uninspired. He was saying the Lord simply never taught anything fast and firm on this issue, but here is what I believe God has given me to say to this particular issue. But in particular on that, uh, it's this present situation, Paul's personal outlook of judgment on the present situation. It was not universal. It, it was geared directly to that church of Corinth. And it's always important to remember that we must determine, again, what I said earlier, who and why this was written to. It's written to both men and to women with a prospect of either marrying or being single. In this, he says, the present situation. He says, in this present situation... And this present situation involved, again, this is why it's so important for us, because if you, if you ever read this and go, man, I'm not sure what he is talking about here, right? I mean, I'm just not sure what he is saying. Well, here's part of the history behind the present situation. Part of the present situation was, is that there had been a tremendous famine hit the area. And food was very, very scarce. And also one of the things that was beginning to happen in that culture was a tremendous persecution of Christians. And, and it just, I alluded to some of the things, not alluded, I just told you some of the things that were done to Christians in that day. But let me just refresh you, your mind on some of those things this morning. There were times when Christians were sewn into animal skins that had been skinned recently. They were sewn into animal skins and then they were thrown out for the crowd to see wild dogs and other wild animals devour them as sport. That's the situation that they were facing. There were those Christians who were a little bit later after this was written, there were those Christians who were put in clothes that were soaked in wax and soaked in oil and put on a stake and lit on fire. For Nero's court. Now, that kind of puts a whole new prospect when we say, I surrender all. Because they did. And I will tell you right now, there are Christians across this world that this certainly applies to. It doesn't apply so much to the Church of America because we're not facing this type of persecution, not to say that it won't come. But it is to say this, that he was saying, listen, it is in my best judgment, and I believe that, basically, I'm just paraphrasing, in my best judgment on this, this is what I think. If you are unmarried, stay unmarried. 
And if you are married, you know, if you're married, go ahead and stay married. But if you're unmarried, if you're, if you're not, not looking at the prospect of marriage, just stay that way. Why is he saying that? Because he says this present situation is difficult. And the days look like they're going to get more difficult. Let, let me try to focus that a little bit more in. Can you imagine those of us who are married to either have your spouse stripped away from you and taken and treated in some of the ways that I just said? Can you imagine the price of saying, listen, I will not surrender, I will not bow my knee to the emperor. I say Jesus Christ is Lord and only Jesus is Lord, knowing that you are going to be taken away from your family and your family will be left destitute because they have no way to take care of themselves. You see, Paul was not against marriage by any shape, form, or fashion. As a matter of fact, we know through the rest of the scriptures he teaches, hey, get married. He tells widows, if you're at a young age, get married again. He was speaking to a very specific local church that was facing very difficult times. I could see this being true in some of the churches in Africa right now, to where it is all and out genocide against Christians. That in the middle of the night, people are coming and taking them away, stealing the women away, killing the men on sight, because they're Christians. And he was saying, listen, in that present situation that we're in, I think it would be better if you stayed unmarried because then your focus is more on serving Christ and you're not so concerned about your spouse. Does that make sense? That's what he's telling them there. He's trying to get across, listen, you need to serve with a singular focus. He's not telling them not to get married. He's just telling them, listen, be careful because there are going to be difficult days that are headed your way. That'd be tough. I started reading, just started reading John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, and reading his story up to that point, and a lot of people don't know the story behind John Bunyan, but that he was just a tinker who God called to preach the gospel, and because he was not clergy, the church and the government persecuted him to the point that he was thrown in prison for 12 years. And they said, if you will just stop preaching, Mr. Bunyan, if you'll just stop preaching, you can go back to your family. Follow the calling of being a tinker. You're not called to be a preacher because you haven't been to seminary. Just be a tinker. And he says everything within him wanted to be able to do that. He says, but I must follow Christ. And so he spent the next 12 years of his life in prison where he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. But his heart, because he left behind a wife and four children, one of which was blind, while he was in prison. That'd be a tough, I mean, just be honest with yourself right now. I, I know I've searched my heart in saying that would be a hard thing to do. And I would say, oh God, give me grace to be that bold in the faith. That if that day ever comes, that I would be bold enough to say, no, I will choose Christ even over my wife. You see, that was Paul saying, listen, that's where you're at, folks. He says, so don't rush into being married. 
because your heart is going to be pulled two different ways. He says, but you need to serve Christ with an undevoted attention. And can I tell you, that's just as true today for us as it is for them. We don't face the persecution that we have in many places, but it is still there nonetheless. And Christ calls us to follow him. Didn't he tell us that if you love family more than him, he says, you're not worthy to be my servant. You see, Paul knew what was coming. I don't know if the Holy Spirit had let him know that. They were already suffering persecution, but he could see it on the horizon that it was going to be horrendous. I believe in the book of the martyrs, it talks about Peter, that Peter watched his own life be crucified before he was crucified. I can't imagine that. But we have other stories of other Christians yelling out to their spouses, facing death, saying, be faithful, be faithful, remember him, remember him. Here in America, here in good old Jacksonville, Alabama, we have a hard time getting God's people to be faithful to church service. I wonder how many of God's people would stand the test. He says not only is the present situation here, there's a problem with the flesh. Look at verse 28. But in if thou marrying, thou hast not sinned. He says, hey, look, if, if you marry, <laughs> don't worry about it. You're good. But you just need to understand this. He says, if you marry, there is going to be a problem with the flesh. What, what is he talking about there? Anybody here been married a minute or more? Is there a problem with the flesh? Because we got two sinful people living together, and it brings its own set of problems. Can I tell you, if you're not married, I want to tell you this, that when you, you get married, I want to give you an eye-opener here. You are not going to enter into a state of eternal bliss. Right? Because almost everybody that is married, after they got married, at some point, they, they, it, you may not admit it aloud, but I will tell you that most of us probably went, what in the world have I done? Because now, it's not about just living for you. It's about living for that other person. And that means you must die to yourself. I'm so glad my wife didn't say amen. But there's problems. You put two sinful people together, and Paul says, listen, it's going to be that. You're compounded by what uh, we're in this, right, this terrible time that we're facing right now. And you just need to know, when you put two people together, you're going to be working things out. Because you have two different ways of doing things. And, and you just need to understand that. He was telling them. Can I, I just say this? You know, for the unmarried that are here, those that are uh, waiting to get married, thinking about getting married, those who have just gotten married, hey, you're going to have problems in the flesh. Get over it. If you're going to be married, it's part of it. You know, suck it up, buttercup. You know, get on with life. And, and that's what Paul is saying. That's fine if you want to get married, but just know that there are going to be some problems. Trouble in the flesh. It's not continual bliss. Marriage is not escaping the problems of the world, but the world compounds the problems that you face. Then there was the problem of devotion in verses 25 through, or pardon me, 29 through 35. I won't read those again, but he says in, in this, he says, time is short. What is he talking about there? Any of us that have a little bit of gray in our hair can understand what James said. He says, life 
is like a vapor. It is here one moment and the wind blows it away. Right? Oh, isn't it amazing how quickly this life has gone? And he's trying to get across and saying, listen, he says, you need to understand this world is passing away. And when it comes to that, uh, there is going to be a time that there is not even going to be marriage. Now, I hope, you know, when I get to heaven uh, that Anne still wants to hang out with me some. You know, she's my best friend here on earth, and I certainly hope that carries over into heaven. And that we get to enjoy the things of heaven together. But the fact is, the Bible says that there's neither marriage nor the giving of marriage in heaven. But the joy and the bliss that we experience in marriage will be accelerated beyond our wildest imagination as we enjoy that with our friends and hopefully your spouse is your best friend. Can I get an amen? Men, this is a great place to say amen. amen. You, you will do well. You will do well to say that. All right. So he says life is short on this earth. The ways of this world are short in itself. But marriage can also cause a division of service. It is here that the singular focus is challenged. He says that married people need to live in a sense as though they were not in regard to the Lord. And what is he saying there? He's simply saying, listen, your focus needs to be so singular on serving Christ that your spouse, and I will add this, your children become secondary. He says, look at it. Now, let me find it here. But this I say, life is short. Verse 30, he says, And those that weep as though they had not wept. Verse 31, And they that use this world are not abusing it. And then he gets just down and says, Listen, But he that is married care for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And he's saying, Listen, don't let that become your focus. Wives, you don't, Serve your husbands at the expense of serving Christ. And husbands, you don't serve your wives at the expense of serving Christ. Now listen to me. And parents, you don't serve your children at the expense of serving your spouse and serving Christ. You hear that? You see, I I see it so much. That when one spouse says, well, you know, I don't really, do we really need to be involved in all those things in church? Oh, that God would give us some men and women who would stand up and say, listen, this household is going to serve the living God. I'm amazed that children determine what parents do. Can I tell you the reason that is happening in the church of America today is because parents are not abiding in the word of God. Can I get a feeble amen beyond a couple of rows? That we allow children to dictate what goes on in the home rather than the word of God dictating what's in our hearts and then we dictate what goes on in the home. You can do it in love. Absolutely need to do it in love. But that also goes with the spouse. Now, I will say that there's a caveat in here that women come under the authority of man in the Scripture, and I know a lot of women don't like to hear that today. 
But I tell you what, if a husband says, I will not allow you to go to church, you serve Christ right where you're at. Take on the servant heart. Pray to God about your husband. Don't talk to your husband about God. And let God make the change in his heart. Right? But don't stop serving him. And parents, stop letting everything else take precedence over serving God. I saw something on Facebook that says there's like a tiny, tiny percentage of a chance that a kid's going to be a professional athlete. There is a 100% chance they will stand before the living Christ to be judged. It's a problem of devotion. Then there is this. The parents' advice is found in verse 36 through 38. And here's one of those things. If you're, Some of your versions may have this outright in the King James. It's a little bit harder to grab. But he says in verse 36, But if any man, speaking of a father, think that he behaveth himself uncomely or not right towards his daughter. It says virgin there, but that word translates out daughter. So he says, here's the deal. And again, this is, it's hard for us to understand this because in America, we don't have the same type thing going on as maybe even some cultures today that a father really determines everything that that daughter's going to do, which includes marriage. And that was part of the culture then. And he was saying, listen, really, Christ is so liberating because he's basically telling them, saying, listen, Dad, you may have made a vow that your daughter would not get married, that she would remain a virgin. He says, but I'm telling you, and it says that she's passed the flower of her age. In other words, she has reached sexual maturity, and she is being driven towards marriage. That is her desire to be married. He says, go ahead and let her get married. Isn't that a liberating because that's the Christian life. You see, it's not squashing and holding women down. It's setting them free. And he says, let her get married. She hadn't sinned. And you haven't sinned either. He says, but, again, looking at the current circumstance, the present situation that we are in, with the famine and with persecution, he says, if she doesn't have a great desire to be married, if she's not being tempted uh, sexually to be involved, he says, it's better off, I think, that she stays unmarried because of the situations that we're facing. But again, note, he says, it's not a sin if she gets married. It's not a sin if she stays unmarried. What's the issue? Serving him is the issue. You see, that's the central theme of this message. Serving him. You see, because it doesn't matter. If someone gets married and say, oh, this is the, the bow of my dreams, and they go into a marriage and they don't serve Christ, what good has that marriage done them? Or if they say, I will never marry, and I'm just going to go and do whatever, and they don't serve Christ, what good has it done them to remain single? Absolutely nothing. The issue that is to be focused on here is that we are to serve Christ in the, the constant uh, shifting sand of culture. And despite what is going on around us, he has said, serve me. I wrote a letter to the church this week, and our newsletter will be going out. One of the things I ended was a quote from Joel Beakey. And I don't have it written down, but just let me just paraphrase. There will come a time when we'll preach our last sermon, when we'll pray our last prayer, 
We'll read our Bibles for the last time. And we will witness for our last time. And when it comes down to that day, the one question will be this. What kind of evangelist have I been? Nothing else will matter. In other words, how did I serve Christ while I was here? How did I proclaim the supremacy of Almighty God while I walked the face of this earth? That is all that will matter. It will not matter who you married. It will not matter what job you had. It will not matter what degree you have. The only thing will matter is did you serve Him? That is it. And we leave with this last thought that Paul had, the permanence of marriage. He covers that in verse 39 and 40. He says, the wife is bound by the law as long as the husband is living. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she say, uh, so abide after my judgment. I think also I have the Spirit of God. Paul reiterates the issue of marriage. Once you enter into a marriage relationship, you are to stay there unless it is dissolved by death, infidelity, or abandonment. Those three. And if you do, because he said, isn't it amazing, the Holy Spirit knew, he says, I know some of you are going to get divorced anyway. And he says, but if you do, you remain unmarried, or you be reconciled back to your spouse. Here's the conclusion. Cultural identity, social status, and marriage should have no impact on your serving Christ. Obey Him, abide in Him, and you will find joy, and you will be fulfilled despite the cultural changes that go on around us. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for the timeless truths and principles that we can gather around us to shore us up in the culture that we live in. God, we would pray this morning that you would take your word, that you would quicken it to our lives. God, that we would walk out of here as a people that when we do sing, I surrender all, that we do. That we're willing to lay ourselves on the altar and that we become a living sacrifice which is holy and pleasing to the Lord in order that we may know what is your good, perfect will. We thank you again for this day that you have given us. Thank you for the saints that are here. We pray with those that are not here today, God, that you would uh, minister to their hearts exactly where they are at. And only you know that. God, we pray that we at Westside would be a people that could respond like you did when your parents, Lord Jesus, came looking for you and said, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? God, may we be found that way. May we be about your business. And we pray those things in the unchanging name of Christ. And the church said, amen.